Good morning and happy Resurrection Day to all of you who God has led to join us this morning for our Easter morning worship service. We're so glad that you're here. It's a delight to be able to worship with you. I know that this is probably going to be a once-in-a-lifetime Easter Sunday morning for all of us, and that we're not able to gather together to typically enjoy that, which we normally do on such a wonderful uh, Lord's Day. But we trust and we're pretty confident that the God's going to give us a wonderful time together uh, around the scriptures and around worship and song as we learn uh, even a bit more about the glorious power of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're so glad for our guests who have joined us this morning. We would like to welcome you uh, just by simply uh, having you text the word welcome to this phone number, 440 440- 255-7045. If you've never had the opportunity to uh, be a guest here at Grace Church for a formal worship service, and you haven't had the opportunity yet to join us by live stream, uh, we would encourage you to uh, just text that word welcome to that phone number. We'll send you a special gift. We'd like to recognize your guest presence with us, and we look forward to communicating with you a little bit more regarding how we can encourage you uh, during these uh, somewhat difficult times that we're all living through. We'd like to let you know a little bit about uh, our evening service tonight. At 6 o'clock, we're going to have a rebroadcast of this Easter morning service. So if you have more friends and family that weren't able to be with you here at 1015 this morning, uh, then certainly you can have them Uh, Join our website and join our service at 6 o'clock this evening. Then right at 7 o'clock, following our evening service, uh, we have specially planned for you an Easter video that your whole family can enjoy together. Uh, So again, right at 7 o'clock, cozy up with some snacks and uh, gather around your living rooms, your family rooms, and cozy up and enjoy the Easter uh, Sunday movie at 7 o'clock tonight. We have planned for you this morning some scripture reading, uh, choir numbers, special music numbers, uh, enjoying time in the scriptures together, and then a special treat for you at the end of our service as we conclude celebrating uh, this Easter Resurrection Sunday with you. So we're going to begin this morning just after a word of prayer uh, with our first song, And it's going to be led by our children's choir, and after they sing just a verse of that particular hymn, uh, Pastor Mike's going to ask you to join as a congregation, and the words will be on your screen to follow along after the children begin our first hymn of worship together. So let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer and ask his blessing on our service this morning. Our Father in heaven, we're delighted to be here. We ask, Lord, that everything that you see and hear would be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our Redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
that. Let's sing verse 1 together. Christ the Lord is risen today. So while we celebrate God's resurrection today, let's remember that there is no resurrection without his death. So why did he have to die? And why does that matter to us? In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul teaches us that as sinners, we all stand condemned. But through Christ's death, he offers justification and reconciliation to God forever. The Lord Jesus Christ offers peace with God through himself. Without his death, we will remain in our sin and be God's enemies forever. So let's take a look at Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone will dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. I'm so thankful for the message of Easter, that Jesus loved us even when we are ungodly sinners. He loves us so much that he died for our sins 
so that he can have a relationship with us. Praise God.
everyone and happy Easter. We're the Stenoyan family. While he was alive, Jesus predicted no fewer than three times that he would be condemned and killed. Every time he predicted his death, he also predicted his resurrection, just as important as the death of Christ is his resurrection. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that our faith is useless without the resurrection. Praise God that Jesus conquered our biggest enemy, death. Let's take our Bibles and read together Matthew's account of the resurrection in Matthew 28. We'll read verses 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he has said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Jesus is risen. Happy Easter! Good morning, everyone. My name is Karen Sanchez. Happy Resurrection Day to everyone that might be watching this live stream. 
I want to send a special blessing out to my church family there at Grace and a special shout out to my Sunday school class. I miss you and love you and uh, look forward to the time when we'll be back um, there learning about Jesus. Today I'm going to read um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 20. This was a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, if we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we, as believers, are reconciled back to a holy God, because we were separated because of our sins. But in a time past, if we have placed our faith and trust in his son, Jesus, who is fully man, fully God, who died a shameful and painful death on the cross in our behalf to pay our sins. But praise the Lord, he has risen. If we have personally accepted this truth, we are no longer separated from God. We are now reconciled to him. We now have a sweet personal fellowship or relationship with him. We also have a new nature because of Christ. We also have the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, that helps us live differently unto Christ each and every day. We also own the other truths of scripture that one day we will experience a living resurrection just like Christ has risen. We also have the promise that Christ is interceding daily, continuously to the Father in our behalf. He is also building a home for his people in heaven to one day spend eternity with him there. He is also using you and me as believers to build his church on this earth. How can we not proclaim this reconciliation every day? But how much more in times like these should we be procre- proclaiming 
this reconciliation. Hallelujah. What a Savior we serve.
Well, after all of that wonderful music and scripture reading, I'm sure uh, your hearts are prepared to look into God's Word at this time. So let's take our Bibles on this Easter Sunday morning and go to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you've been joining us in the last several weeks, we've been in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to discuss this morning this proposition from this passage. We minister and serve because Christ is resurrected and he assures us of ours. We minister and serve because Christ is resurrected and he assures us of ours. We will crescendo this morning as we go along towards verses 13 to 15 where we will find our necessary declaration of resurrection truth. And as time uh, goes on here, we'll begin at verse 1 and see the integrity, which is the proof in our own lives that Christ is resurrected, and we know that we will be too. What of proofs of the resurrection? According to the Oxford English Dictionary's first definition, a skeptic is one who holds that there are no adequate grounds for certainty as to the truth of any proposition whatever. Consequently, the skeptic could say with confidence, I don't believe in the resurrection of any human, especially Jesus, because there are no adequate grounds to prove physical life being restored after one experiences physical death. The absence of evidence is evidence of absence, they would say. We didn't see it. We didn't record it. There's no record, let alone widely distributed record of evidence of the event, so that it most likely never happened. You say, well, the Bible records proofs of the resurrection. It says there were hundreds who were eyewitnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ after his resurrection. But what if someone didn't believe the Bible? You may even say, well, the record of history tells us of Christ's bodily resurrection. Even historians, not of our faith, have demonstrated from the record of the past that Christ was resurrected. So what happens if one is a revisionist in their approach to history? You might rightfully say, well, just because someone is not a person of faith and interprets history in their own way doesn't change what's really true. And you would be right. But let's just say we live in a time like the judges in the Old Testament where every man thought and did that which was right in their own eyes. What if there are millions of faiths and interpretations of history and the same number of understandings of the resurrection of a man? What does God leave man today to see in order to comprehend resurrection power. Well, of course, there remains the influence of our all-powerful Holy Spirit who remains in the world, according to the Gospel of John, convicting it of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. He's certainly capable to convict a soul of their unbelief. We know from the record also of the Gospel of John that no man comes unto the Father unless the Father draws him. So while both these statements are always true, God in his mercy since the resurrection of Christ and the beginning of the church has consistently 
offered proofs of the resurrection, even for people with no faith and those who have a revisionist approach to history. I would say this, if you know Christ, you are the proof of the resurrection. Humanity around us is eyewitness to your changed life by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you know him as Lord and Savior. And that life is the resurrected life of Christ being lived through you. So with what qualities does a servant influenced by resurrection power minister? I'd like to highlight for you this morning, in the brief time that we have remaining, seven qualities of a life that ministers for Christ by way of resurrection power. I'm going to list these seven, then we're going to go back and briefly explain each. First of all, we minister with consistency. We're consistent. We find that in verse 1. Second, we're honest. We find that in verses 2 through 4. Third, we're humble. We live and minister with humility that the Lord Jesus Christ ministered in verses 5 and 6. As ministers of the gospel, by way of resurrection power, we're reliable. Verses 7 through 12, we are reliable. Fifth, we're bold. We find that in verse 13. Verse 14, confident. And verse 15, by way of our conclusion this morning, we are expectant. We're expectant. So, consistent, honest, humble, reliable, bold, confident, and expectant. In verse 1, we find our first quality of someone who ministers by resurrection power. Paul says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Paul, with great splendor in chapter 13, details the glory of the new covenant in Christ as compared to the old covenant under Moses. So he begins with the word, therefore, understanding this new covenant ministry that we have, we minister in a very unique and particular way. Why? Because we have this ministry and it was given to us by the mercy of God. Paul knows. He remembered that he was a recipient of the mercy of God. He remembered what his life consisted of before his conversion in Acts chapter 9. He knew that he was a persecutor of the church, the worst persecutor of the church. And yet God spared him what he truly deserved when the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him in Acts chapter 9, which is the chapter of his conversion. So Paul knew right well when he says, since we have this mercy, this ministry, as we have received mercy. That word received, even in the grammar, tells us that Paul's going back to that moment when he was born again, where he received that mercy that compelled him to be a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this mercy, he says, provides not just 
ministry, but it also provides protection as we minister. He says, we have received mercy and we do not lose heart. You could take time to study that on your own, but it simply means that as we remember what our mercy or where our mercy is sourced in the mercy of God, right? God giving us mercy to serve when we deserve something else. It's that same mercy that protects us from falling to temptation to sin, even as we consistently minister. So resurrection power, by God's mercy, enables us to minister with consistency. Verses 2 through 4 tells us that resurrection power enables us to minister in an honest way. Verse 2 says, But we have renounced the hidden things, or the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. With our approach to ministry, we understand it is to be a humble approach. Paul says something here negatively and positively in relationship to ministering in an honest fashion. He says here, we've renounced the hidden things or things hidden because of shame. The word hidden here just means we've renounced uh, cunning. Uh, we've renounced deception or shrewdness, if you will. Uh, shrewdness of a dark kind. Paul uses the same analogy here in chapter 11 as he describes the actual cunning of Satan. Paul says, no, we've renounced the things hidden. We've renounced the things that are cunning or tricky, that which would be underhanded or disgraceful. And he says uh, that we are not walking in craftiness or adulterating the Word of God. So there's two negative things here and then a positive thing that he says. We're not walking in craftiness or adulterating the Word of God. He says, no, nothing tricky. Not adulterating, this word simply means diluting or diluting the truth. We're not walking in a tricky way or in a way that's diluting the truth of the Word of God, but this is what we're doing in honest ministry. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. It's resurrection power put on public display before men of your changed life and a new presence in your life who illumines your mind and your heart as to the truth of God's word and how it's to be lived. We live as a manifestation. Uh, this word is a picture of maybe going downtown uh, in your area, whether you're rural or urban, and finding a store with a Christmas, Christmas display in the storefront. It's well decorated, it's well lit, and as passers-by um, are enjoying their walks down the street, it immediately catches their attention. And Paul says here, 
but by manifestation of the truth. Not tricky, undiluted, not underhanded, but by clear manifestation of the truth of what the gospel's done in your life to change your life and set your life on a course towards Christ-likeness. That is on public display, or if you're honest in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, by resurrection power, should be on public display, clearly seen by everyone who knows you. He goes on to say here in verses 3 and 4, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glorious, uh, glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul's saying here that one way that we handle uh, honesty or we live honestly in our public uh, ministry lives among us and then as we live outside of the local church and our communities. Uh, he's saying one of the ways you find out if you're, if you're honest is by how you handle what ministry success really is. If you study the history of this passage, you'll find out here what Paul is saying is very, very clear. He's saying there are many people who have told me that I have preached the gospel and there's not many people being converted. I don't have a lot of converts. So he's saying here that uh, the ministry of the gospel that he's preached has not been well received. And his defense is, is because it's the God of this world, Satan himself, who's blinding men's eyes to the truth of who Jesus Christ is, both Jew and Gentile by now in Paul's ministry experience. But to those who are gospel enemies, if you will, those who are not friends of the gospel, they're criticizing Paul and saying, you know what? Uh, you're not very successful. You don't have very many followers. You don't have very many converts. And Paul's saying, you know what? I know. I know the gospel's just not popular. It's not popular to walk into people's lives, tell them that they're broken, tell them that they're lost, they're completely depraved, and they're in desperate need of forgiveness and regeneration by the Holy Spirit. It's just not well received. And so he's saying, look, if we're going to walk honestly, we've got to remember that you can't make the broad way narrow and the narrow way broad. The gospel's never going to be popular, but if we're going to be honest, we still need to preach it, and we still need to live it. Remember, we are that clear, obvious, visible manifestation of truth. And we're always commending ourselves to every man's conscience. And God's the eyewitness of that. So are we honest? Are you honest with yourself? You know, we, we live with this resurrection power. We live by this resurrection power. The resurrected life of Christ in our, in our lives. And, and you say, Pastor, I just I feel like Paul. I've lived. My life's been on clear display. And yet, I don't have very many converts. You may even have people in your life who are saying, you know what, you're kind of you're really wasting your time doing this whole church thing, living this different lifestyle. You really don't have very many followers. Uh, your popularity is not growing, and that's obviously noticeable on your social media likes, friends, and hits. <laughs> 
But you know what, folks? If we're going to walk honestly, there may not be many followers. Uh, Even at a time like this, when uh, God's using the circumstances of the coronavirus to cause many people to stop looking around and and, and they're, they're compelled to look up and try to figure out why all this is happening and how they can get through it. When they're confronted with the holiness and the righteousness of God, the light of His holiness does shed light on their own human condition. And that's uncomfortable for people even now. For you to step into their lives and to say, you know what? Uh, The only way you're going to be able to handle this is if you turn from your own ability and understanding all that's going on, turn from your own pride in trying to discern how to get through all of this, turn from your own sin and place your faith exclusively in the Lord Jesus Christ as your salvation and hope. And you're, if you, until you do that, you're really not going to understand what all's going on and how to get through it. Um, it's just hard for people to comprehend that. But nonetheless, this is what resurrection power compels us to do as we walk forward in honest ministry. So resurrection power compels us to be consistent, honest. In verses 5 and 6, it compels us to be humble. Verse 5 says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Paul's saying here in verses 5 and 6 that there really is no self-promotion in personal gospel ministry or public gospel ministry. One author said that Paul is basically making this statement in these verses for uh, apologetic reasons and or uh, polemic reasons. Apologetically, they feel he may have made this statement because some may have believed Paul was preaching, um, and in many places public, right? Uh, Very, very public, for self-promotion reasons. So Paul says what he's really here to do, to defend his own character. And some say that uh, he did this for polemic reasons. In other words, Paul may have felt others were out there in public teaching God's word for their own self-promotional purposes. And Paul says, no, no, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. In your margin of your Bibles, if you want to put down there 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, when Paul came to the Corinthian people, he said, I came not to you with crafty or deceitful words or in man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power of God and preaching to you nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul has a humble approach to ministry. He's saying that there's somebody else calling the shots in his life, and his message is clear. He says that Jesus Christ is Lord, that there's a new governor, spiritual governor in his life. And boy, we find out how influential a governor can be, right, politically during these times. They can uh, change 
the way you live down to the most minute detail. Uh, they become somewhat of a temporary political despot in our lives for our own good as ministers unto us for good. And, and Paul's saying here that's what Jesus has become to him. He's become to him a spiritual despot that is governing his life down to the most minute detail, and it's for his good and God's glory. So clearly the direction of our life has come by a miracle of God and not the ingenuity of men. And that's certainly what Paul's trying to convey here in verse 6. Since God, omnipotent God, spoke light in creation week and light appeared out of the darkness, that same omnipotent God, when He speaks into our lives, the content of the gospel, the omnipotent Holy Spirit of God compels our hearts to receive the gifts of faith and repentance and to be born again. The moment we were born again, we were declared righteous in Christ and He is the express image of the glory of God and the light of God. I mean, Jesus said, right, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. That humbled Paul. Paul wanted people to know that it was not himself that he was preaching, but Christ. Paul wanted them to know the only reason he was preaching Christ and not himself was because there was something that had happened in his heart by way of a miracle. And really it took a miracle of God's omnipotent grace to change this man who was formerly a murderer and a persecutor of the church, who had received, as we've already said, salvation by the mercy of God. This is very humbling to Paul. And as we serve by resurrection power, we too do so with the same humble demeanor. Verses 7 through 12 tells us that when we serve by resurrection power, we do so in a reliable way. He says here in verse number 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death by, for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. How do we re reliably minister by resurrection power in this time? We do so in showing that the transcendent power to live the gospel is in God and not us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. An earthen vessel here in this culture would have been the most inexpensive, possibly cheaply made pot or cup. Easily broken and not able to be reprocessed like glass and metal was at that time. So the transcendent power of the gospel is demonstrated through us as simple clay pots. 
We have this treasure. We show reliability in ministering while we understand that in the most extreme times of suffering, we're able to persevere here. He gives us four paradoxes showing our vulnerability, yet the capability of God in verses 8 and 9 that we read. We're able to persevere during these times, and especially the times in which we live, by the ability and capability of God. We show and demonstrate reliability in example. Paul teaches us that in verses 10 and 12 that we've read. A servant's life depicts the life of Christ. Paul's life to a greater degree than ours in this context, or even the Corinthians that he wrote to, for sure. But the influence of Christ's life is lived through us by the gospel demonstrating to all the dependability of Christ through us even until we breathe our last on earth. So resurrection power demonstrates itself through us in consistent, honest, humble, and dependable ministry, and it also seen by others as bold ministry. He says here in verse 13, But having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Paul's cross-referencing here in part of these, this verse, uh, Psalm 116 and verse 10. And he's saying here that his confidence is the psalmist's confidence. And Paul's confidence then would be ours to do what? Regardless of the times of ease or hardship, we speak. We speak. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess them before my Father who is in heaven. Wow. Paul had a bold ministry. By resurrection power, we have a bold ministry. I know many of you have had the opportunity to speak and speak boldly to those who are fearful around you even now. Uh, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors. And you understand that uh, that's resurrection power working through you to speak. And we praise God for that. I would encourage you to continually trust God to speak with clarity and boldness as you have. For those of you that have not had that opportunity yet, it is a glorious time to be praying and asking the Lord to bring that opportunity into your life because that ability to speak comfort through Christ to others who are fearful is not in you, it's in the Lord himself. So yes, we speak boldly. Why? Because we have a confidence that something's going to happen. And it's found in verse 14 as we wrap up this morning. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. The Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Remember, these are seven qualities of proof in your life of resurrection power that he is raised. Paul uses the word here, knowing. Um, you study the grammar here, you'll find out that he's speaking personally here of his own knowledge. He's speaking personally here of, in Acts 9, actually being an eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus Christ. He knew himself that he was raised, 
And so he's telling us, you know what? Because he was raised, he assures us of our resurrection. And one day we will be presented together gloriously with all saints. The presence of God to be enjoyed for all of eternity. It is by the power of this resurrection. It is by the promise of our resurrection that we minister these virtues in this time as outlined in this passage. And may I say, regardless of our circumstances. So in verse 15, we finish with an expectation that is also empowered, if you will, by the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. He says here in verse 15, For all these things are for your sakes, it's for our own spiritual development to be sure, for a purpose, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. He's speaking of the spread of the gospel, the reception of the gospel by the power of the Spirit by many who will in turn thank God and not you for what he's done in their heart. And I believe that resurrection power compels us to expect a harvest like this as we live in public demonstration of God's grace by resurrection power among the people who know us that may not know Jesus, I fully expect in my own life and by God's grace, I trust you will prayerfully expect a harvest in your own life from your own speaking of people who will hear of Christ after they've seen Christ through you, who will turn their lives to Christ and then give thanks to God. Give thanks to God for all that resurrection power has done to transform their own heart and their own life. You are living proof of the resurrection. Regardless how mankind may reject theologically or historically a bodily resurrection of our Savior, they still are eyewitnesses to your life. By God's grace, by resurrection power, we encourage you to continue to live these seven virtues during this time of crisis and after this crisis is over so that many may come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and give glory and thanks to God by way of your testimony. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for this brief opportunity we've had to look into your word, to understand how resurrection power is demonstrated through our lives by the gospel. Cheer our hearts now, Lord, as we hear a gospel testimony. Again, uh, a, a harvested fruit, if you will, of a life that was eyewitness to another man's life of living these seven virtues. A man that's trusted Christ as his Lord and Savior and desires to be baptized, who gives glory to God and thanks to God because of resurrection power in his own life as he saw it lived out in the life of another. Thank you, Lord, for this time of resurrection worship together. 
In Christ's name we pray, amen. Earlier this week, we had the opportunity to allow a man to follow the Lord in baptism. And as I've mentioned earlier, by way of a spiritual blessing at the end of the service, and I mentioned even in my prayer here, let's enjoy this glorious testimony of a man who's now uh, giving thanks to God and thanks to you all who had an influence in his life for the gospel as we listen to his baptism testimony. And when his baptism testimony is concluded, uh, we'll be playing for you a wonderful Easter anthem as we are dismissed. It's been wonderful worshiping uh, with you on this Resurrection uh, Sunday. I can't think of a better way to conclude our Easter uh, morning service than to have a baptism which demonstrates publicly uh, resurrection power and how it can change a life personally. We have a sweet brother in our church that many of us have come to know since he's been here, and he's been a tremendous personal encouragement to me. It's Brother Dave Safeman, and he has been influenced uh, by a special friend uh, in our congregation that has also influenced many of us. Uh, and uh, his discipler had the opportunity to uh, lead him to Christ. And without stealing any of Dave's thunder, so to speak, in his testimony or influence in his testimony, we're going to have him come at this time and share his testimony with us. Good morning. I was brought into this world by the grace of God to living to loving parents. My dad had been raised in the Jewish faith and my mother was raised in the Jewish Christian home. My sister and I were raised in the Jewish faith, but our family was not particularly religious. Our parents were hardworking and worked long hours. They always made sure though that we went to synagogue on the high holidays. In 1954, I was introduced to the Old Testament scripture in preparation for my bar mitzvah. I did not have a great desire or interest in growing my spiritual knowledge, as I was more interested in enjoying my youth. I met my loving wife and partner, Barbara, during our college summer breaks while working in her family's shoe store. She was very involved in her Lutheran church, so I began to attend with her. We eventually were married at her church. A year later, we moved from our hometown, Rochester, New York, to the Cleveland area, and later settled in Painesville Township. We had become friends with the minister of the Painesville Congregational Church and began attending there because his ministry and the Christian education program appeared more focused on helping us as our young children to, to better understand the biblical scripture and how to apply God's perspective to our own lives. Over the years, I saw counseling with our pastor regarding my desire to become a Christian. He and I met regularly to explore, review, and confirm my personal commitment to accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and later in January of 2007, I was baptized. Now I realize that I did not fully comprehend or appreciate what born again really meant. Today, being in the Bible, I realize I was disobedient, sinful, and separated from God. Shortly after our pastor passed away, 
and with a new, more social worldview leadership of the church, my wife and I sought a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ and clarity of the Holy Spirit. I feel blessed that my wife Barbara met Chuck and Nancy Lawton in Liz Ramora as they all volunteered at the same political group. Over time, Barb became very, very much interested and understood that they were born-again Christians with an in-depth knowledge of scripture which Barb hungered for. Barb asked Liz to recommend the study Bible and Liz offered to disciple her. Barb was so encouraged that she began attending, that we began attending Grace Church of Menor in 2017, where my heart and mine were so enlightened by the gospel being taught. I felt I was drawn to God to gain a greater and deeper understanding of the biblical word. In looking forward to membership, Pastor Mike Hickson suggested discipleship with Joe Jackson for mentoring me through the foundation and walk books. With all honesty, I was scared. I had no idea what to expect and I was getting what I, and what I was getting myself into. I felt like an infant with very little biblical knowledge, but a desire for knowledge of the gospel. When Joe and I met, I asked a lot of questions about my sin. Joe would look at me and ask me each time, are you sure you were saved? I knew at that point by the questions I was asking and the look on Joe's face that what my heart and what my heart was telling me that I was not saved. Yes, when I was originally baptized, I confirmed my personal commitment to accepting Jesus Christ as my savior, but not as my Lord or authority over my life. During a disciple meeting, Joe shared with me his testimony and how he prayed and for forgiveness and repented and gave his life to Jesus Christ. I went home that evening thinking about what Joe had shared with me and I wept and I asked Jesus Christ from my heart for forgiveness of my sin and to be my Lord and Savior. Since I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, my life has changed because I know his love for me in spite of my brokenness. I now understand the role of the Holy Spirit in me, and I know my eyes are open and finally understanding God's word for the first time. Joe's example of giving his life to Jesus Christ with joy, goodness, hopefulness, and grace has inspired and encouraged me to live my life to glorify God. I have come to understand that born again means in my life by wanting to strive to follow Christ's example and to obey God's will. I have committed to a life of obedience to study the biblical word and to grow an understanding of God's perspective of how to live my life to glorify him. I thank God every day for drawing us to Grace Church of Menor, the inspirational pastoral leadership that emphasizes and works to encourage our commitment to Bible study is so necessary to gaining a personal understanding of God's perspective, his character, and how to apply his will to our life. I'm so grateful for God drawing our men's Bible group together, having the opportunity to study with more mature brothers, Rick Ramora, Don Westman, and Doug Keller, who continually challenge and encourage my spiritual knowledge 
prayer and support of my faith journey is truly a blessing. I still struggle with the divide between the flesh that I am and who I want to be. Getting up my will to serve God's will is my daily personal challenge. I seek him quietly, praying for the Holy Spirit to keep me focused for the transformation of my heart and mind to gain a deeper knowledge of Jesus Christ and God's inspirational guidance in my life. With the accepting of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I wish to commit and reflect my obedience of faith through baptism. Dave Safeman, upon your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your desire to obey him in baptism, I'm proud to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, brother. We love you. Love you, too. about a clear of a testimony uh, that you're going to hear uh, from this baptism. Uh, Dave has been honest with uh, his own soul and his conscience, and um, there are many, many people who uh, have been reared similarly in religious backgrounds who made a commitment to Jesus Christ intellectually, but not volitionally. We always say here, the Bible does teach that we really don't have a gospel unless we have a changed life because we've surrendered our will, not just our intellect and our emotions to Jesus Christ, but also our will, and as Dave said, making him Lord of our lives. We all were personal. We all have been personal eyewitnesses to the demonstration of the spirit and power of God in Dave's life when he truly understood the gospel. And uh, this is just a tremendous time of rejoicing for me personally as a pastor and for us as a congregation uh, for all kinds of reasons we've already mentioned, but, uh, but truly that uh, maybe, maybe Dave's testimony, uh, probably Dave's testimony for uh, someone in our congregation listening today uh, or maybe uh, out of state or maybe even out of country uh, you might say, you know what, that testimony reminds me of my life. And you know what, I haven't had uh, the lordship of Jesus Christ governing my life. And maybe you need to understand, like Dave did, that uh, though he had religiously committed his life to Christ, he had not spiritually done so by the power of the Spirit. And maybe today would be your day uh, to be born again. Uh, and no resurrection power demonstrated in a changed life, uh, in your own life. So thank you again for uh, joining this, uh, joining us on this Easter Sunday morning, concluding our service in this way. I just want to remind you too, there were eight different names in addition to Dave's wife who were mentioned in his testimony. And don't ever forget Grace Family. 
uh, or anyone else listening that knows the Lord, that the Spirit of God uses individual lives to influence those who need the Lord Jesus Christ. And pre-salvation and after Dave's salvation, people have been instrumental in bringing him to Christ and then leading him in growth in Christ. So thank the Lord for um, uh, the Laughlins, uh, the Ramuras, uh, the Westmans, uh, Mr. Keller, and uh, our Joe Jackson. Uh, praise God for all of your spirit-filled lives, and we thank you for your ministry. Let's conclude our service this morning by singing together that tremendous Easter anthem, Christ Arose. And before we sing, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of being eyewitnesses again of a changed life by the glorious, omnipotent ability of the grace of God. We thank you, Lord, for um, uh, Dave Safeman and for um, your grace allowing him to show Jesus Christ through his life. And we thank you again, Lord, for all those saints who are here that are an influence in him uh, coming to know Christ in a personal way. We thank you for resurrection power and the way it compels us to live in Christ's likeness as we look forward to our glorious hope of seeing the Lord Jesus maybe today. In his name we pray. Amen.